Welcome to the Consider This Podcast. For even more exciting content, visit our website at considerthiswbc.com. Enjoy the podcast. This is a really laid back thing, but it's also a really fun thing to do. We only do this every now and again, and we have the privilege of bringing in some people uh, that that really are uh, top notch. And so if you've never been here before uh, to consider this, uh, so let me fill you on how we do it. So initially, um, I go back and forth with whoever our guest is, and tonight our guest is Dr. Ben Blackwell, who's a professor at Houston Baptist University. We have any Houston Baptist grads out there tonight? Dogs up, right? Uh, so he's a professor at Houston Baptist University. The topic for tonight is miracles, and that seems to be an appropriate topic for a church, right? Um, now, if you look behind me and up on the screen, here's what you'll see. I need you to get your phone and go to menti.com. Now, for those of you that have been here before, you know what we do. But I need you to go to menti.com. And after you go to menti.com, I need you to put in the code 72110755. Now, here's what that will do for you. That will put all of you on the same page. And while uh, Dr. Blackwell, is there if I call you Ben? Yeah, I mean, I go by, by Jeremy, too. So, well, the, uh, the only person I make call me Dr. Blackwell is my wife. So. <laughs> you know, I need to try that. I haven't, so, any, all right, I got a couple of, uh, over here to the left. Uh, so, this will put us on the same page. Now, if you have a question, anytime Ben and I are going back and forth, you feel free to ask a question. And he and I will go back and forth for a while, and then we're just going to go to you. And what this does is it gives you a chance to ask, ask a question that maybe something that you've always wanted to ask related to tonight's topic, at least, is the issue of miracles. All right? So are we all on the same page? Menti.com, enter that in. I look forward to some great questions. By the way, in the past, there's been no lack of questions. And so that's a good thing. Uh, but we want it to be a really laid back night, a great experience for all of us, but also just to take seriously what we're talking about too. All right? So how many of you are ready to start? Now, the good news is, even if you are online, you can go to menti.com, enter in the code, and ask a question as well. So, we're glad that you're with us, too. And I'm going to flip this up here, and we're just going to get started. All right, are you ready? Let, good. All right, let's go for it. Uh, when, it comes to the, when it comes to the issue of miracles, there's a real discussion on what actually makes something qualify as a miracle, you know, versus... For example, something that's just, it's natural, but it's weird, kind of a weird phenomenon. So just for starters, could you give us some some thoughts on uh, on, uh, how we should understand the idea of a miracle, what a miracle actually is? Or is it a violation of the laws of nature or what? Yeah, that's what I was going to go. That's uh, a traditional kind of uh, way to describe it as a violation of the laws of nature and I think there's a couple of, uh, David Hume, he's a philosopher um, that uh, a couple hundred years ago that came up with that, that definition. And I don't find it as helpful in this sense of like when God does something that it's not violating something, you know, in that sense to where God created nature and actually sin in a way is a violation of the laws of nature. And so when God acts, he's making nature run the way he intended it to in the first place. Uh, maybe a better way, uh, William Lane Craig is a, a philosopher, a Christian philosopher that uh, I read a little bit, and, and, and he uses the language of uh, an, 
an event that's not explainable through natural causes. And so that means that there's some other supernatural cause, uh, even though that, that language is a little bit... Uh, um, once you use nature and supernature, there's a kind of dualism in that that's, that makes these things not seem to work together. Mm-hmm. And I think the way that the Bible presents the world and creation is that God is constantly working through creation, even through natural processes. And so in that sense, I don't want to say that God doing like saving acts is somehow fundamentally different than his creative act to and providence as he runs the world. Yeah. So we, we kind of have this idea that if we're not careful that God creates everything and then just kind of sets it off yeah. to run in its own, own course of action. And then oh, every now and again, he kind of dips his hand in and goes, I'm going to, I'm going to mess with this right here. And it seems you're pulling away from that idea a little bit. Yeah, that's right. I think, I mean, it's, uh, it's, these are hard things uh, about God's providence. How do we describe it in a way that doesn't make us just robots, you know, just God forcing us in a marionette, you know, where he's doing the puppets with us, but also in the sense to where God is, is God, <laughs> right? He's sovereign and he's the one who created this world. And so it's his prerogative on how he engages us and uh, how he uh, has the world run. Yeah. Uh, if, you, if you look in scripture, one of the questions that has always kind of made my mind pop a little bit, I'm, maybe some of you would feel the same way, uh, is like you look in the narrative in, in Luke chapter four, Jesus is in Capernaum, and it, it says that he healed all the sick people who were brought to him in Capernaum. And then, and then it says he leaves and he goes to a solitary place, which you see Jesus doing that all the time. He ministers and then he goes to a solitary place, which means he's introverted, right? Uh, that was a joke. Uh, but, but here's the thing, and, and as I looked back in Luke chapter four, and it's a question that I know that I've had, is the people in Capernaum begged him to stay. Now, if you look at a a number of New Testament scholars, what they would say is, well, he healed all the people that came to him for that day. But you have this whole other group that's like coming to him and saying, no, stick around. And presumably because they haven't been healed yet. Mm. And so the question comes up, and I know that this is probably one that some of you have wondered before. Why why does he heal some people and other people just kind of seem to be left out? Yeah. Yeah, that, I mean, it's a very, we're back to this question of providence and the problem of evil, which I know that you can speak to much more uh, uh, astutely than I, but why does God allow evil to happen in the first place and, and seems to address it at times overtly, but then other times allows it to happen. And, um, you know, one of the things as we're reading the Bible, uh, it's a very hard thing not to read it in terms of our situation, but you know, we're, we're talking about a world that doesn't have penicillin, right? That, you know, like a, maybe a splinter in your foot might actually kill you because you get a, an infection in it and things like this. And, and so, uh, physical illness today, we tend to think of it as cancer, you know, major heart issues, these, you know, but it, the range of issues and, and their severity of some of these smaller things are much more prevalent. And so uh, I think of, you know, I, I suppose it would be our parents' generation of the people in here, you know, when penicillin was introduced. I mean, it's only been in the United States, what, seven, what 50, 100 years, uh, 1940s, 50s? 
Is that right? Nobody. And history anybody here? remember when penicillin was injected into you the first time? <laughs> yeah, it was right before World War, World War II. II. Right. So, um, but all that's to say is like healing then is uh, plays a much larger role in human flourishing and what God uh, you know changes there and. Um, all that's to say, so your question, um, is, it's a good academic thing is to divert to something that you, you know about <laughs> rather than the question they're asking you about. But, I, you know, I, it's hard to know. I mean, of course, one passage says that Jesus went to an area and they didn't have faith. And so that's why he didn't heal them. Um, and so uh, I do think part of this question of why don't we see more miracles today is that I don't think we ask. We don't, uh, you, you know, but... At the same time, I don't think that's the primary cause either, right? I mean, it, it's a, a, a give and take there. And so I think of it like, so I've been married for 20, 25 years now. It's like there's a, in any relationship, there's a give and take. Things don't happen the same way every day, right? There are some patterns that we have in our relationship um, and some things that, um, if I don't express verbally, or maybe even better, if she doesn't express verbally, because I'm, I'm classic for not getting hints, right? So <laughs> if she does not tell me directly, then I'll, I'll miss it. But other things I, I know to do otherwise, you know, and so part of the, there's, when we engage God around these issues, you know, the, we talk about providence or these other issues, we don't want God to be like a, a computer algorithm, and if you punch in the right number, then the right, you know, certain things are going to come out. It's, he is a, a living person, right? And we're engaging. And, and of course, he's the only infinite person that we ever engage. So it's hard to uh, comprehend exactly what his infinite foreknowledge looks like and how that impacts the way he engages us here and now in our time. But I think it's those complexities that... Uh, you know, draw into that why some are healed and others are not. Yeah, you know, I've I've, I've wondered. Sometimes you think of the raising of Lazarus, for example. Uh, you know, whether you want to call that a resuscitation or a resurrection. I know that some people will kind of go back and forth on that, but certainly he gives life to where there was death. And then I also think about this with poor Lazarus. So that that brother got to die again, right? So even though he's raised up. He gets to go through whatever the experience was that brought him back to death again, right? Uh, but when it comes to the issue of, of, of miracles, you know, we do naturally ask that question, why have, have some been portioned for this and others, others have not? You know, Craig Keener has a couple of volumes on miracles and he has a new one that came out in oh, October on modern day miracle reports, or I think it's called the supernatural work of God in the modern world. And you have people that are, are literally being healed at the moment of, of prayer. Uh, they come in and they're very, very sick with, with cancer. And within 24 hours, they're absolutely cancer free. And, and there wasn't like going to the doctor. It's not like, oh, and they found something that night, right? It's they go in and they find that there's no cancer in their body at all. And I find those stories to be really interesting. Uh, part of which is because, and maybe this is just the way I'm cut, uh, I like it that there's some documentation to, <laughs> to it, right? You see the doctors, they're saying, boy, something really, something really odd has, has happened here. Or maybe go to the language of like, you know, spontaneous remission, which is basically a way of saying, we have no idea what happened here, right? And I don't know if that's a punt on the possibility of a miracle or what, but it is a natural question that we would ask, why do some people benefit from the miraculous work of God, where, whereas some others simply do not? 
But I think it brings up another point about the nature of the miraculous. And see if you agree with me here. I, when, I, when, I, when I was thinking, when I think about the miraculous, one of the things that I think is by, by definition, God's not going to be handing this stuff out like candy. Right, so if you just, if you show up at Friday at seven, it's just, it, we're just gonna dole these things out to you, right? And it's because that's what you want. And instead, you see that Jesus sometimes heals and then for the most part, it seems that what people are going through, well, frankly, they go through it. Uh, and even when Paul talks about three times, I prayed for the, God to remove the thorn in the flesh and three times God said no to me, it should and this is what, this, so I'm all leading up to a question here. Should this set our expectations a little bit to where if Paul hears no from God three times, that maybe our expectations should be set a little bit differently? Is that fair? Yeah, so I think in, in, importantly in the first place, Paul is asking, right? So yeah, he, he thinks, he, you know, it's not, he doesn't just put up with it. He does think that God might intervene. Um, but yeah, I think if, if, again, if Paul's being told no, <laughs> you know, as uh, James say, uh, says, uh, uh, the prayer of a, a righteous man avails much, you know, and so like, uh, I think Paul would fit in that uh, righteous category um, as with, um, and so in that sense, like if we both have the opportunity and the um but the reality that God, you know, doesn't always answer. A friend of mine uh, that teaches with me, Jason Maston, uh, has talked to me about that passage in Second Corinthians where all of God, God's answer is always yes and amen. And the way Jason uh, talked to me about it and I, recently, and I haven't thought about this way, is that whatever we're praying for, God answers with the best answer. And so in that sense, it's always yes, but it may not be the thing that I'm asking for. And so he does respond to the prayer, just not always in the way that we uh, anticipate. And I think that that passage is in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I believe, where that is. And um, even Paul, uh, even right before that passage, he says, I, I uh, despaired even uh, to the point of death. Right? So clearly Paul was going through great forms of suffering. And of course then comes back in um, chapter 4 to talk about how we care around the death of Christ in our bodies so that his life may be revealed. And then also in chapter 12 where he talks about the thorn in the flesh. And so this idea of suffering isn't antithetical to God's glory and even to the life um, um, transforming us, but even transforming those around us as we suffer with and for them and alongside them. Yeah. Now, to be clear, when he says, you know, three times I prayed for the removal of this thorn, you know, the scholars will agree it's some physical affliction, right? It's not, some would say, well, you know, he's got some sin in his life and that doesn't seem to be it. There's some sort of physical affliction and may, you know, someone suggest malaria or visual issues, uh, epilepsy, you know, you, you're probably aware of all that. You know, there, there, there are theories out there as to what it is, but Paul was actually, when he was talking to the Lord, he was saying, this is actually hindering the work you've asked me to do. And so I'm asking you to remove, remove this from me. And God's response was, well, I'm not gonna do that, but I'll give you grace yeah. Yeah. instead. Yeah. yeah, I think that's right. And part of it, the whole, I think so much about the, the New Testament, even coming out of the Old Testament, 
Um, well, just think of the prophetic literature in the Old Testament. So much of what the prophets are doing is, is the, their focus is on the immediate suffering. So Daniel, for instance, is he, he's trying to live faithfully for God in the midst of a pagan setting. And so what is Daniel? God is giving Daniel this heavenly view on the world below. And this is the word apocalypse is where we get this. It's a revelation is what the word apocalypse means. It doesn't mean radical destruction <laughs> that we think about apocalyptic. Uh, the word apocalypse means a revelation. And so what is it? Daniel can only see this limited amount of suffering and trouble down here. And God gives him this heavenly view to see that history, even in the midst of that suffering, God is still active. And so even some of the progression in history that God is in his providence allowing to take place, even uh, if suffering is a part of that, um, but ultimately he wins in the end. And so as we go through this, and particularly with Paul more specifically, is he has this bit of suffering here and now. And so that's what his focus is on, right? That's what one thing suffering does is kind of <laughs> narrow our focus on this particular issue. And so with that, God is calling him up to the kind of this heavenly view is like there's a greater time frame here and that my glory and your flourishing is the ultimate goal in, in the end. And, and my grace will carry you through this. And so you, you had to walk through that difficult time. Uh, but there is hope at the end of the story as well. That's not the only thing, right? It's not just grace for this moment, but it's the, the whole scope of God's work in history. Yeah. You know, when you, when, you read the, when you read the Bible, you do see some pretty amazing miracle reports, right? Uh, so while a lot of the narrative, you just see what's happening in, in people's day, what's going on, enemies that are working against them and so forth, you do see some things like Exodus 14 and the, the parting of the Red Sea, right? And I know that I, some people wonder whether or not something like that actually happened. Or, or maybe a different question was, is how could we know something like that? has actually happened. Do you, you have any thoughts on, because on the one hand you would say, well, it's recorded in the Bible, right? The Bible is a historical book. And I think that's fair to say, but for somebody that's a little bit more skeptically minded, you know, well, what else do you got? Yeah. So any thoughts on that? Yeah, it's an interesting, uh, that particular miracle, it, it says that a great wind blew up. And so it's one of these things that, uh, well, even taking a step back, my uh, youth minister, in high school used to joke that look even if even if the way the sea didn't part the miracle was that all these uh, egyptians drowned in the ankle you know depth yeah. water that's so right it, one way or another something happened there right to for god to help his people get away but um you know the the text is pretty clear that the there was dry land there, right? Or they walked on it as if it was dry land. And so you see similar thing when Josh was going into the land of Israel and the Jordan stops, right? And then they go there as well. And so you have these um, descriptions that are pretty evident, I, I suppose, in that sense. They're not as kind of debatable about what the text is trying to say. But the interesting thing about with the, the sea parting in Exodus 14 is that the, God using this wind to do it. You know, and so it, there's interesting ways that um, that God acts, right? So think about Jesus healing somebody by putting mud on his eyes, and then other times he just speaks a word of healing. It, uh, 
you know, we're not, again, we're not, we're not back to the algorithm that if you type in the right thing, every time it's going to spit out the exact same answer that God acts in different ways. Um, it, you know, it's hard to know, uh, you know, these Old Testament ones, you know, back to your, your main question about the, the veracity of that or what did it look like or, or how do we get back into that world? Um, for me, the, the question about any specific miracle is, is hard for me to, you know, I, I guess in some ways I have a more, I don't know, naive faith is the right term, but once you settle the larger question of can God act in the world, or first, does God exist, and if he is a person, does he have agency or can he cause things to happen, and once you settle that question, the various forms that it come out, whether it's this healing, whether it's the crossing, they're all equally, I think, improbable. I mean, that's one of the things that makes a miracle a miracle. It's like it, it, you don't expect it up front. Um, and so I heard somebody talking, I think this was a great analogy about miracles. It's like winning the lottery. Um, uh, my first degree is in accounting, so if that maybe helps you why I'm boring up here, I don't know. But, uh, you know, the difference between an extroverted accountant and an introverted one, right? The, the extroverted accountant looks at the other person's shoes instead of their own in the conversation. <laughs> so, um, but, so uh, a, lottery, a lottery is basically a tax on those bad at math. So the, the likelihood you spending this dollar and you getting return on that dollar is uh, almost 99% that you will lose your money, right? Uh, and so you're, the probability of you winning the lottery is very low. And that's what a miracle is. It's improbable. And so you shouldn't, you know, by and large, that's what makes it a miracle is you don't expect it and we probably shouldn't expect it to happen. But if you have actually picked the right lottery numbers, the probability, right, the probability of that single event actually raises to one, right, the, or 100% that it's a re realistic event. And so in this sense, when we talk about God, uh, miracles and these other things, um, by and large, uh, we expect the world to run in a normal patterns. And this is what science and math and these other things uh, help us to talk in terms of. But the laws of nature in that sense are not... Uh, prescriptive. They don't force things to happen. So I have a, a pencil here. If I drop this, right, the laws of nature tell us that gravity is going to pull that. But if somebody reached down and grabbed it while it's falling down, they didn't break the laws of nature. They, they intervened and there was extra causation there. And so in that sense, that's what a miracle is, is God's extra causation. And it's improbable in many of these instances that something will happen but if if there is extra causation so if God is living and active and he steps in to do this then that it didn't expect right yeah you ask a person if they can walk on water right and we're talking about normal water not frozen water all right <laughs> freeze it and that's not that's low-hanging fruit but what if we're talking about you know actual like pool water and, uh, and this was because of some dialogues that he had with Bart Ehrman up at the University of North Carolina, right? Well, 
the interesting thing that Mike pointed out was he says, you know, Bart, what you've done is you've kind of ruled out the point that was meant to be discussed to begin with, which is, can a person normally walk on the top of just good old pool water? And the answer is, well, on their own, the answer is not at all. So if I walked, got home and I said, hey, Avery, which is my oldest, hey, Avery, I want you to go walk across the, the pool, right? The, the odds are pretty high that Avery's going to hit the water and she's going to drop, right? Uh, however, what if I'm actually holding her hands and she's walking across the top of the water? Now, that's a simple illustration of making a point. There was an extra agency that had a power that made that, that a possibility, right? And for, for me, when, especially when it comes to the, the topic of miracles, uh, you know, one of the things I always try to say is, look, on the front end, let's just say that they're at least possible, right? Even, even if we want to debate whether or not this is a miracle, we have to be open to the possibility on the front end that it might actually be. Otherwise, there's nothing to talk about. You know, you've already ruled out the very possibility at the beginning, and especially when we've made the, the biblically we have the conviction that, you know, that these are all, all things equal, these things are somewhat rare, right? That God doesn't hand these things out all the time. So when people say, well, why does it happen all the time? It's because we were already committed to the belief that God doesn't. And in large part because of something that you brought up, there's great benefit to the laws of nature, generally speaking, operating exactly as they do. I mean, imagine that, imagine that you wake up one morning and all of a sudden that there was absolutely no regularity to the way that the laws of nature worked. It would make your daily operations basically completely impossible, right? Am I going to walk out and then fly up in the air? Well, you don't know. What day of the week is it, right? Uh, and they're, they're, good, they're good benefits to those kinds of law-like regularities. However, and this is how, as I was doing some, some research some years ago for a class that I taught at Southeastern Seminary, uh, called Miracles and the Resurrection. What it is that you do get at least in, in some of these miracle reports is, for lack of better words, you get a snapshot of the way that the kingdom of God is going to be. Mm. You know, when Paul talks about the resurrection, he says you get, there, your body has two properties it didn't have before. Mm. It's incorruptible and it's imperishable. By the way, that's a great thing, right? Uh, no more sickness, and especially in a pandemic. I mean, count us in. <laughs> I mean, it count us in for that. But, but it inherits something that it didn't have before, yeah. right? Yeah. So I don't know if that adds on to what you were saying. It helps at all, but... Yeah, I think in this sense of... When we're going back to the idea of causation and, and what happens here, uh, what are other forms of causation that are not necessarily physically or naturally explicable? Uh, we can talk, I know you're doing a series on the demonic, right, in the Bible. And so there's these agents or causes, causal figures in uh, the Bible. So we're, we're talking about miracles in the sense of the positive sense of God uh, intervening, uh, that there are other non, you know, positive, negative uh, things that the demonic creates. Uh, so again, though, that presumes that you have a, a, a a strong view of uh, other supernatural events there, but even other things of like the soul. Um, can the immaterial aspect of us impact and change the material aspect, what we do and think? And so, or does the soul survive the death of the body? These are other things to where we talk about like this interaction between immaterial or spiritual realities, maybe is a term we can use. 
that also impacts these natural realities. And so conceptually, it's, uh, we see this in different places. Of course, uh, in modern American culture, there's a, a uptick, I think, in ghost interest, you know, the paranormal. Mm -hmm. Um, and so as we think about these things, that's just another way of these spiritual realities engaging the physical world. Of course, in the, the outside the church, we see this through tarot cards and um, other forms of... Um, Divination. Yeah. Uh, what's, what's the right word? I'm trying to think of... Uh, what is this Psychopathy. Uh, psychics. <laughs> They're not psychopaths. Um, <laughs> I couldn't think of the right word. <laughs> But in this sense of like, we, we tend to default to uh, this idea that science alone runs things and explains everything. But actually the common person, um, the average American, is constantly defaulting to these control mechanisms. Or how can I look behind the, this normal? So the, through psychics or... Um, uh, divination. What's the right word? Your um, what's the right word? I'm, what do psychics give you? They give you your reading, your um, Are you yeah, about your fortune telling, telling, stuff like that. You know, but these things or seances. I mean, it, it pervade. It, it would it may surprise you if you asked the average person. Now, a lot of people won't. I mean, some people are embarrassed to talk about it. Others, like they're you know, this is a way that they navigate life. Uh, the complexities there, but it tells us that it's not just this scientific worldview. Um, I, I think that is the default. The scientific is the default. So let me, I'll give you an example here. Um, I, I teach the new Testament full of miracles. I, I fundamentally believe in miracles. Um, I was telling Jeremy, I'm a one handed charismatic. So I don't raise both hands at the same time. I only raise one. Yeah, keep that you know, in check, man. Yes, yes. So our, our theology professor calls me a charismatic with my seatbelt on. But, um, <laughs> well, uh, you are an accountant. Yes, yes, that's right. So uh, in that sense, uh, so about four years ago, I uh, came down with this brain condition. And I didn't, we didn't know what it was. It, I, it presented initially with this really bad uh, neck and shoulder pain and... So couldn't sleep except sit, sitting up in a, a armchair, and so. Uh, but anything that would move my neck gave me this really bad pain. So uh, eventually, with muscle relaxers, other took about a month, got beyond that. But then I got double vision and had these other uh, physical um, symptoms. And so about three weeks into this, um, I my wife took me out of the house because I'd been kind of homebound uh, at the initial part of it. And I ran into one of my, the pastors at my church. And he, you know, that kind of word hadn't gotten out about uh, this problem yet. And so he's asking, you know, how I'm doing and stuff. And, and I was like, yeah, I've got all these problems. And uh, he's like, so we're in a minuti, which is just a coffee shop. And he's like, well, we need to stop and pray right here. You know, and it was like, Oh yeah, you know, this isn't just a physical cause and effect, right? That there are spiritual realities in this. And I wasn't healed then. It took another several months uh, before I was diagnosed and it was through medication that mm -hmm. addressed the issue. It was excess cerebral spinal fluid uh, that was uh, pre fluid pressure that was causing the problems. But um, 
ultimately is one of those things that I had to have a conversion of my imagination. Like I lived according just to this, you know, it's like everything I do is about teaching the Bible and the supernatural and God's active and bringing salvation to lost people. And yet when the problem hit me, I reverted back to just the worldview that I'd been trained in is that there's material cause and effects for material issues. And so my pastor, you know, one, not just offering to pray for me, but like, let's pray for you right now because we believe God actually is living and active. It was like, oh yeah, you know, I I should have already known that, but I'd been living in this different way. And so it's this constant reminder that even us in the church have to be reminded of this over and over again, that God is living and active. And again, it doesn't mean he, he didn't appear to use any miraculous means to resolve this, uh, this uh, sickness I had, but at the same time, it, he, he healed a mental sickness that I had in the sense of I didn't trust him or didn't, I lived, uh, my worldview was misshapen or misformed and that it was uh, set right through my pastor's action. Yeah. So uh, let's be fair. I, there are some things that happened that, uh, that you know, you, it, maybe it's fair to be skeptical, right? So I'll give you an example. It's not miraculous. It'd be more of like a religious experience. So as I'm in New Orleans and I'm a professor in New Orleans, I'm pastoring a church there. It was a Wednesday evening. Uh, we're outside cooking. This is post Katrina. So people were hungry. So I'm outside cooking on the grill and uh, with a couple other guys and this guy walks up and uh, was just visiting with us and you know starts to tell me this this story by the way this is the great irony of it as I just talked earlier that day at the seminary taught earlier that day at the seminary about religious experiences right and one of my students is actually there with me at the time so this guy walks up and uh, and starts to give this 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 pretty pretty amazing story about he and his brother uh, having a, a drug addiction and that he saw his, his brother in the home literally just kind of levitate up off of the floor, you know, and that God had said to him, you know, that this, this is not what I created you for and this will stop, right? That's a pretty good story, right? And so I remember him telling me that. Now, I, I'm, st- I'm staying outside of the church and I'm trying to flip <laughs> burgers because I got people to feed. Here was the catch. I could smell that guy before he ever got to me. You know what I mean? I mean, there was so much alcohol on him <laughs> that I could smell him a block away before he ever got to me. And, and I give this as an example, you know, because my, my, my seminary student was with me. You know, we finished, we feed, the, night, the night's over with and whatnot, and I look over at the seminary student, and I said, okay, we just talked about this earlier in the day. Do, do you believe what that guy was saying to you when he came up and gave this report of the supernatural activity of God in his brother's life, literally picking him up off the floor and whatnot? And he said... I'm going to say, no, I don't. Now, that's not an admission on my seminary student's part that God doesn't ever act. It's that there were some things that he was aware of in the life of the person that made the report of what he was giving maybe a little less than reliable. Is that fair? Uh, so here's, here's the question. When would you say, uh, kind of going back to the, 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 the point of miracles, and David Hume does get into this, he's, you know, but when, should we, when are we okay to be skeptical about it? versus when are we just being a pill? You know what I mean? Like nothing would actually ever convince me anyway. It doesn't matter. There's, there's probably always something there that as long as I've got a question, it's just not good enough. I mean, no. do you get the idea? Yeah, when, yeah. Is, when is skepticism about these things fair? And when are we just being unfair? 
So let me take the, the idea of skepticism in a way is not always bad, but it, it actually is the Christian faith that has led us to this. So in the sense of um, taking a step back to this larger kind of historical view, uh, when the advent of modern science is, has been driven by Christians by and large. And so, of course, we think in the last hundred years and, and things, and of course, many uh, in the last hundred years have been Christians, but the, the advent of modern universities goes back a thousand years. And the, the advent of kind of Western science arose out of Christianity and the reason that Christianity led to and, and pursued science is the fact that we believe in one God. And, and if you believe in multiple gods, then events that happen can always be attributed to, well, maybe that God does something different over there, mm -hmm. or Apollo is doing this to me, but Diana is doing that, right? Or, uh, you know, you think of the various Percy Jackson books that your, your kids <laughs> or your grandkids have, have read here, but... Uh, in this sense of like, so it's, it's, you know, use the language of chaos before. It's a version of chaos. You never know exactly what to expect in these situations. Whereas Christians were the ones that were like, no, there's one God. And so we expect him to have created one world that it acts consistently. And so in this sense, like Christians sometimes I think get this idea, say in the last hundred years or so, that we're against science. And so that there's... an, an I'm abstracting this from kind of the modern political debates about science and vaccine, all that kind of stuff, right? I'm talking about the grand scope of Christians are against evolution or these other forms, right? It became competitive that science says something different than Christianity. And in reality, Christians were the ones who helped bring in the advent of science because we believed in this regular world. And so in this sense, then... When we come to the question about miracles, it's not an anti-faith thing to uh, then think in terms of normal, regular practice that, that we would talk about science providing us then. And uh, now there can be skepticism, right? I mean, that, uh, that passage again where it says Jesus went into that village and they didn't have faith, right? There's a difference, I think, between um, a critical spirit uh, I was talking to one of my students was uh, stu did student outreach at Rice for 10 years. And of course, they're a very academic setting. And he said, it's one of the important things to do when you're working with students in that situation is what's a critical question and what's a real, an open question, right? Some people ask a question and they're not going to listen to any answer, right? It's just there to tear you down or to kind of dismantle your authority. And then others are asking like, well, did this really happen? You know, is this, is that true? You know, what does it look like if it's true? You know, and so it's kind of the same question maybe we can think about uh, coming out of the Christmas season when um, John, uh, the Baptist dad, um, Zachariah asked, how's this going to happen? Right? And so he gets mm -hmm. struck mute because he didn't really have faith, right? It was a critical question. Whereas when Mary asked, how's this going to happen? Uh, you know, she's just asking, you know, it's more an open question in there. I think that, that difference. And so in that sense, I don't have any hesitation. Like, um, you know, maybe the difference of why I'm not a two-handed charismatic is because I am a bit skeptical of some of the things I see, you know, the excesses there. Mm. Uh, but at the same time, um, 
I also believe, you know, things really happen. And so part of that is that, that testing, that weighing, uh, but it, but in the larger scope is that because we believe in one God and so actually, uh, just the scientific process is not something antithetical to my faith, but actually something built on top of that in the first place. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to ask one more question and then now before I do that, have y'all been asking questions? I have not looked yet. Yeah. All right. Then let me look at the time. All right. I'll skip me. <laughs> and we'll go to you people. Does that sound good? Uh, let me see. Uh, oh, here's, here's a question. Uh, have either of you experienced something that you would consider to be a miracle? Yeah, so in that sense, um, I have uh, been, so uh, I give a, a personal experience, a closer one, and then one that's uh, one step removed. Um, I have uh, prayed when I was in high school. Uh, this is the one that comes immediately to mind. A friend of mine had an eye condition that had been uh, giving her trouble for a while um, and got a pretty serious prognosis from the doctor about it. And just the group of us in the high school, uh, about four or five of us, got, went to her house and prayed for her. And within two days, it was totally gone. Hmm. And um, I had somebody in my church, uh, she had a a, a, a cracked vertebrae and so had a clear x-ray of it they were going to do back surgery on her and uh, they wanted to do an MRI the day before that they did the surgery to kind of have the full view around it and of course the church had been praying for her and no nothing when she went for the MRI and uh, so clear kind of evidence before and after um, and then a third one here that's a little bit further removed, but um, I, you know, at HBU, we, we look like Houston. So we, Houston's very diverse, right? People move in. Um, I was teaching a class on uh, theology to, to freshmen. So it's, and usually, I, and so I asked, has anybody ever had a miracle? And usually it's, you know, got this really nice parking spot, you know, when I was driving <laughs> around, these kind of things. And this, this young lady on the front row says, well, I'm from the Sudan, and uh, these people came in, and they murdered most of my village, and a guy came, we were hiding in the hut, my sister and I, and, you know, they're literally raping and killing the whole village. He walks in to us, and we're just praying that God would save us, and he looks us directly in the eye, he laughs, and then he walks out. And I'm standing here now because... You know, and it's like there was doesn't, there's no reason why he shouldn't have done horrible things to them. And, um, you know, of course that shut down. Nobody said anything else because it's like, how do you follow that up with, you, you know, <laughs> our kind of meager things? But it's like, no, that, you know, we, of course you can't explain. It could be that for any reason, right? But like, uh, I have no hesitation calling that an act of God to protect them. All right, now we, hold on a second. So I, uh, just by a show of hands, how many of you here would say that you have experienced something you would call a miracle? Can I, can I see your hands? Okay. That's interesting. All right. Good, good. Yeah, yeah what, thanks. What, what about you? I, I don't know, because they asked you all, right, what experiences? Oh, that's right. Um, okay. Yeah, I'll give you, I'll give you one. Now, this, this, this goes back uh, some time. Wendy and I were um, very, very newly dating. Uh, and when I say very newly, I mean very newly dating. And 
uh, we, we found that there was a, uh, that I had a tumor. I was going into the, the, the doctor and I remember talking to her and I said, hey, you know what? We're only a couple of weeks into this relationship and you didn't sign up for this. And so it's perfectly fine. I mean, no fault. I'm not going to hold it against you if, if you step out because I'm afraid that this is, about to get, this is about to get messy, right? And so went to the doctor several more times, right? And it was interesting because I remember my, my dad went back with me this, this time, I was, at, I was at this time at the urologist and they were putting some scans up. And what was interesting was you could see on the, the previous scans, you could see a mass and it looked just like a mass. But on the newest scan that they had taken the, the time I'd visited before, it was a hollow shell. So it was, it was still somewhat present. It's just that it wasn't solid anymore. It was completely hollowed out. And I remember him talking about this and a couple other doctors looking at it. And, and, and you can kind of get the feel of the doctor that you have in the room with you, right? Because they're all looking at it and going, I don't, I don't know what to make out of this. I mean, it's just the strangest thing, right? And then one of the doctors goes, well, God will do whatever God wants to do. And literally walked out of the room, <laughs> right? And so you kind of go, well, one of these guys is not like the others, right? Uh, so I, I, would, I would share that one uh, for sure. Y'all, how many of you would think something like that would count? I mean, it was, it was hollowed out. I mean, they were looking at it going, I, I don't know what to make out of that, but there it was. All right, we're going to move on in the interest of time, all right? Now, if you feel free to keep popping the questions, but here's, here's one. I think this is an interesting one. Can Satan or demons perform miracles? They, they certainly can do, or, well, uh, it seems they can certainly do other supernatural things, but I think the question that's asking, being asked, can Satan and or demons perform miracles? Good question. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I think of uh, Exodus, right? I mean, the magicians there, it seems that they weren't doing um, just uh, optical tricks, illusions, right? It, it seems that they there are these, you know, powers and, uh, you know, it's not exactly clear what the passages in Revelation talk about, the the beast and, you know, their prophets and things like that, but that they would be able to even raise people from the dead. It, it talks about things like that, you know? And so, um, I would think, and I think it goes into this thing of like, what does it look like when a spiritual entity or reality engages the physical world? It's, it's, it's hard for us to comprehend what that, I don't know what that looks like or the mechanics of it. Uh, but it seems like that's the case. So biblically speaking, you have to at least be open to the possibility that something that's happening that would be what we would describe as supernatural might not necessarily be coming from God. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think it's one of the things that we, yeah, for sure, for sure. Okay. Um, uh, and you see this like with the the psychic readings and things like even, um, who is it, uh, Saul, Right, goes to the witch of Endor, right, and Sam, Samuel comes back up, and and so you have these experiences that may, you know, look positive or spiritual, but not. Um, and so we see this all the time. Just the use of religious language doesn't mean that it's uh, spiritual. Um, and I can go into that, but I'll. Leave it there. Yeah, and, and just to, to tag along, you know, if you look, if you look in Scripture and it talks about the, the miraculous, there there are a couple of words that are always associated with with this act. You know, it's a sign, signs and wonder and power. Those are the words that always kind of come up. 
It's a sign of something. It's going to evoke something from you. I mean, like your eyes are going to go, whoa. I mean, and it's a demonstration of tremendous power. So if you see a man with a withered arm and all of a sudden his arm is not withered and it's operating, probably you're going to have a reaction to that. Is that fair? Uh, so those are the words that are there. Here's, here's the catch. Is in the, same, in, in the same vein, when there are acts that are not divine but are of other beings, the same words are actually used. It is a demonstration of tremendous power that is going to evoke a response from you, but it didn't come from an agent of God. Now, some have then wondered, so why, why is that stuff happening, right? I mean, why doesn't God, for example, have the monopoly on it, and then there's no confusion here, and that'd be great, right? Uh, but the problem is, is it's there, but if you look at whether we're talking about Satan or, or other demons, uh, part of this is they're, they're counterfeiters. Is that, does that seem fair? Uh, to, kind of, to kind of pull attention away from what is the real, because anything that they've got, their, their power, their knowledge, whatever, is derivative. It's given, right? It's not, it's not to their nature, so to speak. It is given to them, but it is a way to manipulate and to turn, turn the eye. Does that seem fair? Yeah. All right, good. It's our, I, I can say it's one of these things like I affirm because the Bible talks about it. I don't know that I understand how it works, you know, but it, it take, it, it's a form of faith, though, I think, in that sense of like your worldview has to, you're constantly, for me, I'm constantly had to reinform and let the Bible shape my worldview and not just, you know, modern science and things. Yeah, yeah. And again, not that you're against science, right? Uh, but just being open to the possibility. Yeah, in that sense, I think science, uh, you know, my son is getting a, a degree in physics and about to uh, just got accepted into a PhD program in quantum physics, you know, and, and there's things, you know, that he's uh, exploring in science, like I, it's great, you know, that they're able to do, but it, it doesn't explain everything, right? So I don't have to deny its explanatory power for what it can address, I just don't want it to, or limit to what it's, it, it speaks about everything. Right. There are more than. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. All right, so the next question is this. Jesus often speaks to an individual's faith, making them well or healing them when he performed a healing miracle. If we don't expect a miracle when we pray, how is that, how is that faith component impacted? So two things here. One, God cares not just about our saving our souls, that there, there's a, about one-third of the miracles in Mark's gospel, or one-third of the gospel, are devoted to healings and other miracles. And so I think it goes into the sense that God created us to have physical bodies. So let me just set this out, because that's not the direct question. But mm -hmm. God, God created us here on earth, right? This wasn't, he didn't make a mistake when he did that, and that pulling us up to heaven, our souls just flying into heaven one day, is him fixing the problem of us having bodies. Uh, the problem that our, we had is that we sinned, and so our, both our soul and our body are corrupted. And so the resurrection of Jesus' own body shows that our bodies, too, will be healed, right? And so we'll have those properties of immortality and imperishability. And so that heaven and earth come together. That's what Revelation talks about. So it's not just that we leave this body and so in that sense, being saved or being healed go hand in hand because that, that initial 
point of healing here is a, a window to that true healing of our physical bodies that will happen when we're raised from the dead. Do you, do you get that? And so the, we're both transformed in our soul and our mind, our, our um, consciousness, or as you want to talk about it, as well as the physical aspect. And both of those happen partially, right? But it's assured, as you know, Paul says, if you have the spirit now, you can have the hope that it will happen fully later. Um, and so in that sense, the, the nature of the question there was uh, with the nature of faith. If you don't have the full faith, well, in, in that sense, I think um, as when Jesus talks to the, um, what is it, the, Fer not the Pharisee, the synagogue ruler, and uh, he says, if you can save me, and he says, well, if, you know, mm -hmm. and he's like, well, I believe, but help my unbelief, mm -hmm. right? And so uh, for us, faith is always... It's never a certain fact, or, or we would just call it knowledge, right? There, there's, there's a gap in our understanding of reality, and so that's what faith is. Faith is us. It's not believing against the evidence, but it's also without full evidence. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that makes sense. So we've seen God act. We've seen, and so we see this evidence but when it comes to this moment in time, we still there's a gap there between what we know God can do or we think that we want him to do and what's here, right? And so, but we may not fully believe or understand. I mean, the part of that is why uh, we teach theology, right? Because if we don't know the right things, that we, we wouldn't even know what to believe in. Um, and so our faith is always partial. Um, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. So in the same way that I love my wife, right? I could always love my wife more. And as I, as the longer we're married, I get to know her better. And the things I, I can uh, engage her more deeply. But those early relationships, they're, they're authentic actions, even if they're not as deep in that sense. And so I think faith works that way. It, you can have a true authentic faith that can also be deepened. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's good. All right, I think we have time for one more unless another one pops in, but here we go. Y'all ready? Uh, one person said, I feel like I experience miracles often. Y'all started this talk, I'm gonna blame you. Y'all <laughs> started this talk saying it's actually rare. Is there a danger in believing God is behind all the daily miracles I feel God is behind? Yeah, so I, I think they're less rare than we think they are. And so if you go to other parts of the world, uh, Asia, Africa, Latin America, where more, actually there are more Christians there, right, than here in the U.S., uh, they uh, articulate experiences like this more often than we do. Um, I think they feel the need more, right? As uh, the more your income goes up, you tend to pray and talk about miracles and, and as your education level goes up, you tend to pray and, you know, and so we, these are good things, I think, um, the higher standard of living, higher education, but it also uh, comes with a burden, right, with that. But so I would say, that's why I think we really, the miracles were essential to Jesus's preaching of the gospel. Uh, so if you look at Luke chapter four, he says, uh, the spirits anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to give sight to the blind, this kind of thing. Uh, there, in, when he quotes Isaiah 61, 
in Luke chapter 7, uh, John the Baptist is in prison. And he's like, hey, you said you're the one to come and you had set the prisoners free, you're, right? So there's this implicit question and John the Baptist is like, are you the one, right? Mm-hmm. And so what does it say? Jesus healed the sick. He gave sight to the blind. Uh, the gospel was preached. And so, and Jesus said, now go back and tell John what you saw here. So what he's saying is like, these things are my calling, my messianic calling card. This is how you know I'm the Messiah is because I'm doing this miraculous stuff. In Luke chapter 9, he, he tells the disciples, the 12 apostles, to go out and preach and heal. And then he tells the 72 to go out and preach the kingdom and heal. And so for me, I think that, this, the, that we should regularly, you know, maybe not on the daily, maybe even the weekly, but it shouldn't surprise us when we see God act. Uh, this is one of the things that we, when I was growing up, we had a prayer list, a prayer meeting on Wednesday night, which really wasn't a prayer meeting. It was just another Bible study that we had this list of people we'd pray for. We would have been more surprised if somebody came off the prayer list, you know, <laughs> uh, than anything else, because we didn't really expect God to do anything. And I think that's the problem we get into as Christians. It's like the, these miracles are too fundamental to Jesus's ministry and what he describes as the kingdom of God. And so we do our, ourselves a disservice, I think, uh, to ignore that. Now, it doesn't mean that everything will be healed and be great because Jesus also says, if you're going to be my disciple, you have to take up your cross and follow me. And so death and suffering in and for the kingdom, like these are these two kind of tensions of God's healing as power, but also that power through weakness as well. And so these are the two things that we're, we're constantly dealing with. And so um, I think as much as we, ex- we should probably expect to see suffering more than we do, we should also expect to see God act as we pray. All right, so here's the thing, because we're running out of time. Let's do one more. Does that sound good? All right, here it is. Do you believe that angels still uh, visit the earth and carry out miraculous actions on God's behalf? Yeah, the whole reason for angels are odd to me because I think God's omnipotent. He could, you know, it doesn't even have to snap his fingers. He could just speak it into being. And yet the Bible speaks about angels, um, more so in the New Testament uh, than the old. Uh, but uh, I don't see any reason. I don't see any reason if angels, I guess, are described in the New Testament. And even Daniel speaks of the angels and they're angels in Revelation we're, we're in that midpoint between them. I don't see any reason why I would think that they would not be active here. Uh, what they look like, I mean, what, what that looks like, um, it, you see, I think, echoes of this maybe like in Catholic theology where they pray to the saints to in, invoke and act here. And so what I see in the New Testament is not that we would uh, invoke angels to come. We still pray for God to be the active one who does that. But how he does that, if he uses angelic beings to do his will, um, of course, that's his prerogative. And that, that is part of this worldview. If demons are active, I don't know why angels wouldn't be either. Yeah, and we would also have the problem of recognizing it, though, right? Be, be careful how you behave in the company of strangers, for many have entertained angels and been unaware, yeah. right? So like the experience is done and y'all didn't know what was happening right in front of you. Uh, so good, all right. Okay, so here's the thing. With this, we keep it at least limited in time. And so we're done. We are done. So if y'all give uh, thanks to Dr. Ben Blackwell for being with us tonight. You...
You, ha you had some great questions. Really appreciate it. There's still some more snacks over there. And just as a principle of stewardship, you need to eat it. Okay, uh, so help yourself over there to the coffee and the goodies. Visit with one another. I know Dr. Blackwell will be sticking around for just a little bit if you want to come up and, and maybe ask him another question that's really hard. Uh, he enjoys that. All right. Hey, thanks for coming, everybody. We hope you've enjoyed the podcast. For more information about Consider This, visit us at considerthiswbc.com.